0: everybody welcome to defy convention i'm emily Lanagro, founder and owner of lime red this podcast features our friends and clients who break boundaries challenge the status quo take risks and make big change lime red is a 16 year old design agency that's a b corp and has always been committed to social justice and impact since day one This podcast is an incarnation of our BC, that's before coronavirus, in-person series dedicated to the same ideas of breaking boundaries and defying convention. Recently, when we talked to people about what they wanted in a podcast series, everyone said, we wanna talk about mental health, boundaries, justice, and momentum. These ideas matter, no matter who you are, and we need to talk about them right now. Let's get started. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Defy Convention. I'm Emily Lonegro, your host, and today I am interviewing Lauren Civic, a fellow neighborhood friend. And um, she is just like, I think everybody in our neighborhood knows her, and I'm so excited for you to be here. Lauren Civic is currently the managing director of Second Story, Look It Up, and has previously worked at the Steppenwolf Theater Company, About Face Theater, Walkabout Theater, and Core Theater. A proud resident of Albany Park, Lauren is the Board Vice President of um, Education for the North River Commission, which is one of our clients, is the LSC Community Rep for Albany Park Multicultural Academy. LSC means local school council, by the way, and is a founding member and current chair of the Friends of Roosevelt High School. So you're currently uh, getting your master's of nonprofit administration at North Park, and is the recipient recipient of the Harry L. Davis Executive Education Scholarship for nonprofit leaders through the University of Chicago, and you have two certificates in nonprofit management already from UIC, and this is so exciting. You're just a nonprofit, I think, maverick of Albany Park. Maybe we'll just give you that title. <laughs> I'll take non- I'll take
1: nonprofit maverick. <laughs> Okay, that sounds
0: good. Yeah, I mean, I think your whole career is about fine convention. I mean, second story. I mean, why don't you tell, maybe we should start about telling everybody what second story does and is because it's just got a number one great name. But yeah, I, I think people need to know about it.
1: Right. I agree. More people should know about Second Story. And in case people are Googling Second Story, we're 2ndstory.com. If you uh, Google Second Story, uh, S-E-C-O-N-D, Story Chicago, um, you're going to find a lovely gay bar, but that's not Second Story. (laughs) Oh, for fun. And maybe future collaborations when we open up. Second Story at Second Story. Um, So Second Story is a 22 year old storytelling organization located in Albany Park. Um, We believe that true first person stories can change the world. Um, We believe that true first-person stories are essential to building a world that is driven by empathy. And so we create spaces where people can share and deeply listen to each other's stories. And these these story sharing spaces come in the form of performances. We used to perform in bars and restaurants across Chicago, and now we are doing all virtual programming like everybody else, uh, every other arts organization that's trying to uh, keep those virtual lights on and doors open. Uh, We do in-school education, as well as we offer, offering classes and workshops for adult learners who want to learn how to tell their story better. And then we have this program called Culture Builds, which is Second Story's answer to equity, diversity, and inclusion training, and team building for the corporate sector. So we kind of have our um, hands in a bunch of different pots, but what I really love about Second Story is that every programming stream that we have is actually, is it a true and natural extension of our mission, vision, and values?
0: Yeah, so tell me about the, maybe we could talk about that DEI work a little bit more about yeah. like, so it's like, tr- like, how do you intervene? There's like DEI is exploding. It, it, yes. You've been doing it for a long time because we've been talking about it with you for a long time, but I, how is traditional DEI work done? How do you do it differently? What's your approach? How, how have you always been different or how are things changing? Yeah, so great
1: questions. One of the things that we realized a couple of years ago, and this might've been six or seven years ago, folks would come to a second story show and they would hear a story. And that story might um, talk about gender identity and sexuality, or that story might talk about, income inequality, right? It might talk about food insecurity. Um, our stories uh, tend to talk about a lot of things. And somebody would say, hey, is there any way that you could come and tell that story at my office? Or I'm organizing a panel discussion. Could some could you like do a panel around that story? And so before we even ideated around culture builds, we knew we already had a product that people would be interested in. And and the thing is, is a story um, is something that you can latch onto. We call ourselves um, second story because we were kind of born on the second floor of a wine bar, Webster's wine bar, um, when it used to have a second floor. Uh, Now we've really adopted this ethos that we tell the second story or we tell the first story, so you, our audience, uh, will tell the second story, and so that a story really inspires other stories. Now you asked how how is our DEI approach different? Mm-hmm. When we first started talking to clients about um, our approach, they really didn't get it because it felt and looked so different, right? They said, "Well, what do you mean you're going to bring a storyteller in to talk about um, harassment or to talk about?" Um, macro and microaggressions and, and uh, our pitch has gotten better because initially it was, well, you just got to trust us. Like it works.
0: <laughs> I've done that too. <laughs>
1: right, you're like, it'll, yeah. it'll work. Like, trust and me, then, you know what I'm doing. Yeah, trust me, like <laughs> stories really are the thing. And the way that I would equate it early on was you're gonna hire a, 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 a company that does DEI. And that I, what I've equated it to is like the carnival approach that the carnival looks and feels the same regardless of what county fair it's at, right? right. You have the same tilt-a-whirl, you've got the same funnel cake machine. Mm-hmm. You, you come in, you unroll it, roll it back up, then go to the next town. And I said, well, that, that, that approach to DEI is actually really harmful because the issues that you're facing as a company are going to be different even if they're under the same umbrella of we're trying to introduce gender-neutral bathrooms and people believe that gender is on the binary the conversations need to be unique to your specific audience and so what we started to talk to clients about like was this boutique like catered specifically to you and your your staff and what we have found is folks really feel like they're part of the solution and not an ongoing part of the problem um we recently did a partnership at a uh at a consulting um, marketing company where in a, in a post debrief, one of the individuals said, you know, I came to this experience with my knives out. And that's because like you said, DEI is exploding. Like we have a lot of important conversations to have at every organization, regardless of size, regardless of type. Um, and when folks hear especially junior level and mid-level staff folks here like, oh, we're doing another DEI training. I think there is a perception of, well, somebody's going to roll in with a PowerPoint presentation and we're going to need to sit through a bunch of graphs and statistics and charts. And as much as I love PowerPoints, no PowerPoint changes a harder mind, but a really good story, right? A story, like if we're going to talk about gender identity, isn't it, Richer to have somebody bring in a story that all of a sudden a person can really start to attach to and like Imagining if like that that staff person who didn't think they'd learn anything is all of a sudden finding similarities with this person that they had categorized as other yes. um, We we talk about this work as like planting seeds for trees whose shade will never sit under
0: mm-hmm. but
1: that's that's the work of of our, our stories and in 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 DEI spaces.
0: That's powerful. I mean, yeah, like I love this idea of the story that you retell. I'm a terrible story reteller. I'm a terrible joke reteller. I tried to retell a Sarah Silverman joke yesterday, and I was like, I realize that I'm the worst joke teller ever in the history. But you get you get what I meant. Yes. Um, but yeah, it's it is. It's more powerful, and those are the things that you remember. You know, you don't, you might not remember the nuts and bolts of a specific policy, but you for sure remember how you felt listening to someone tell uh, about an experience that they had. And that's a very, very different way of looking at that. That like even makes me think about, you know, like our work when we do messaging. And usually I'm just like thinking about like, how could I make our work better that way? Because we're doing messaging and we're usually talking about like, SEO, obviously, and we're talking about like key points or organizational development or where are they going in the future, but we're usually like, here are the key, like kind of talking points that we need to hit. But if we could hit like, here are the key stories we need you to tell, which we are doing some of that too, but really trying to capture those personal stories, I think maybe would make that come to life a little bit more. And usually that's a little bit more down the line and those do change based on what's happening. But I think that that's maybe a different perspective we could think of in work. Anyway, I'm thinking out loud, my partner's gonna be like, Emily, please stay on course here. But, um, but I yeah, anyone, like, like it's so relevant though, like to everybody's work. That's why yeah. I'm like, okay, this makes so much sense. And we're hungry for stories. That's yeah. another
1: thing that we found. So at a second story experience, um, if, you're, if your organization hire second story to come in and facilitate whether it's a team building or narrative building, or the DEI work it is rooted in stories and so the store like we we don't do any DEI work that doesn't have story like part of it and the other thing we've been hearing from folks is they're, they're like man I don't know the last time somebody read a story to me since I learned how to read and what a gift that is as adults to just sit back and listen to somebody tell you a story oh. and we find that for our corporate audience um who's in that corporate you know, grind, um, especially now that with the pandemic shift, our, the the lines of our personal and professional like boundaries have been so blurred that there isn't the nurturing of your creative and artistic self. Um, and so that's a real gift that we've also found that is just an extension of why sharing true first-person stories from the person who lived it matters.
0: How are we going to take what you have been doing at Second Story and... How our experiences have changed in the pandemic into the future? Like, how is this going to shape your work? How are you thinking about, um, like, even with your nonprofit management masters and all of these other things that you're doing, how is this redefining how you're thinking about this? So, there are a
1: couple of ways that I I think about that question. The thing that we think is going to happen is that those organizations that have always been human-centered are going to come out of this moment even stronger. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Second Story has, for a long time, been a human-centered organization. And one of the big questions that we've been having with ourselves is, you know, are you? If you follow the the trends of we see you, white American theater and also the conversations started over the summer with Second Act Shy. One of the, the conversations is around artist compensation. And we know that like pay equity for our artists is essential. And for a long time, Second Story um, operated under the like, oh, well that that like, if I go by like the hours, this bigger theater is totally not paying people what like we do, right? But also with like those big theaters um, there is the exposure rate, right? Like, oh, I'm, I'm doing this for the exposure. Um, and I really, for a long time, like looked at like the sins of pay equity at other theaters to absolve myself of second story sins. Like we were not paying our artists equitably. And 18 months ago, we started to like discuss what would it mean to pay our artists stipends based on $15 an hour, right? Like everybody's talking about the leap to 15. There are organizations who've already been doing that that work, shout out to Free Street again. Um, But I think that that is a moment to really deepen the movement, right? So if you are an arts organization who has made it out of this very trying time, how do you double down and define what it means to take care of your artists, what it means to take care of your people? And we're starting to explore, in addition to stipends that are based on a $15 an hour, Great. We're, we're curious around like opportunity funds, like helping parents cover childcare because, oh. like, it costs so much to do, like, to be in a play or to tell a story with a second story. We're starting to figure out, like, can we bake in travel compensation, right? Like, do in addition to your stipend, do you automatically get a $25 buck just to go towards the money it'll cost you to? go to and from Second Story for rehearsals, meetings, et cetera. Um, and I, I, I hope that other organizations can start to adopt similar policies. I often say, like, I don't know a single managing director or um, arts executive leader that doesn't want to pay their artists more. The challenge is often they don't know financially how. Um, and so I think there's going to be like, a refocus of human-centeredness. Um, and also I like, we're all in this together. How do we strengthen strengthen each other's operations and also hold each other accountable? Part of us saying we used to pay our storytellers stipends that were $30, which is roughly $1.40 an hour, is a really scary thing to admit. But we know that in the city of Chicago, the average non-equity actor makes $1. eighty an hour. So I, I could either, I can either just look at that information and hope nobody catches second story, or I can be transparent with where we were and where we're going in hopes to inspire more people to take those leaps.
0: Yeah, and somebody's gotta be, oh, I just gotta, somebody's gotta be first to tell that story, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and I, I gotta tell you, the, the, so Free Street, so we met Free Street years ago because we had worked with Driehaus Foundation on a project. And then we met Free Street and did their stuff and did their site and all this stuff. And then I did this nonprofit draft day in 2018 or 2019. Yeah, 2019. And I, looking for board members for small nonprofits. And then I, I like didn't wanna like steal the thunder and be like, and I wanna join Free Street board. But I was like, I wanna join Free Street board because I just love them so much. But one of the big reasons was They offer shows with childcare. I'm a single mom with two kids and I don't have anywhere to put my kids and business world is not designed for me. It is basically designed to exclude me. And it's really frustrating when, um, when you can't go to night things and you can't go to morning things because especially volunteer things, because I can't pay a hundred something dollars for a babysitter for me to go volunteer my time for a possibility or, it's just not that doesn't make any financial sense. So the fact that I can bring my kids to a board meeting that they were actually welcomed and included, or and I could bring my kids to a show at free street and they would pay for childcare and ha- and handle it like I've never heard of anything like that before. And because of that, when we were doing defy convention in person last year. When I had the event in our studio, I paid a sitter to come and babysit so people could come and bring their kids. And I paid for food and 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 try to think about where's the event located? Is it really inclusive? Can parents sing, especially single parents come? Can they park? Can they take the L? Can they take public transportation? Mm-hmm. Like the idea of inclusion that, you know, the I and DEI, it's 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 about it's about a lot. And especially about are we really making it easier with the resources that we can offer for everyone who wants to, to participate? And yeah, telling this, I didn't know that people made a dollar something an hour. That's just, and think about the society around theater and like, oh God, that just makes me sick to my stomach to think about that, really. Well, it's the the thing that I love with what you're
1: saying about Free Street's model is it does point to that there is no endpoint to inclusion right? Like there is no, and now we're an inclusive organization, check, we're done. Like you can continue to deepen what that looks like. Right. And so I think, um, more opportunities to champion the good work is really important because we do spend so much time, um, and maybe actually not enough time focusing on like the average actor makes a dollar 80 an hour. And, that's because Chicago has over 250 theaters, right? So like when I first moved to Chicago, I was pursuing acting um, and arts education and it did not take me very long to be like, I don't don't wanna be an actor. (laughs) I don't wanna do this, eight shows a week. No, thank you. No, thank you. I wanna be at home. I wanna watch Madam Secretary. Like, I don't wanna do this at all. Um, And so, but like my first couple of shows, like I got like a, it was a four, no, five week rehearsal process, four week show, five nights a week of rehearsal, four nights a week of show, I got $50. What? And it was like out in Oak Park. And so (gasps) $50 at the end. Whoa. There is a little bit of like, you know, you need to pay your dues, right? Like that's part of paying your dues is not getting paid. And so I think like, we're finally at a moment where we're like, no, That's actually not appropriate. And Elsa um, Hiltner is leading a really incredible conversations around pay equity. And for her, she's like, if you can't pay your artists, you can't afford to have a theater company. Like that, and you know, there are a couple of other folks, Jess Hutchinson, who's like, are you a club or are you an organization? Right. It's okay if you're a club. Like in my hometown of Hobart, like there's some, in the Northwest Indiana area, uh, there's some really wonderful community theater, right? That's it, it's vibrant. It contributes to the the you know the the community ethos and the ecosystem, and it's wonderful. And they don't pretend to not be a community theater, right? Mm-hmm. And in Chicago, there is this idea that because we're in city limits, we're all professional theater. It's like, well, what are professional markers of an organization? I mean, you're, you're a small business owner. It's paying people. It's paying like, people. Yeah, it is. It's important to pay people. Like, and you wouldn't be able insurance. to say, you wouldn't be able to tell somebody like a new hire, like I'm hiring a managing director. We're looking for a master's or we're looking for like bachelor's um, required, master's mm-hmm. preferred. But it's volunteer like that doesn't happen in other <laughs> sectors. No, it wouldn't that, ma-
0: that magically happens in ours. It's well, you know where it does happen. So it's almost like so I was an adjunct for a while. And oh. <laughs> I, I figured out I figured out that I was getting paid I think three dollar three three or something. Like I I did the math of like how long it took me to commute, do the thing, grade prepare, I wrote the syllabus, like I wrote the curriculum, like prepare the materials. It was like, I needed to keep up to date. It was such a ridiculous amount. I was like, wow, I could make more in one hour of consulting than 10, a hundred hours of that. Like it was so dumb. Yes. Cause I, I charge a dumb amount of money for consulting time. But like, and I loved teaching. I loved it. It was so much fun, but just in terms of like my time I couldn't justify the amount of time that it took to do it. It was just not worth it. And I, I truly, really, I really, truly love doing it too. It was so sad. So it makes sense, but I was like, wow the only thing I can really relate to is that. And I'm happy to volunteer my time cause you know you're not gonna get paid when you do that. And the, and the bar is pretty low for, for like, or a board like being on a board, like I know what I'm getting into when I'm be, when I'm on a board for something. But when you're like, when this is your profession and, and you're trying to start the profession, right?
1: Like you've gone to oh college, you, 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 know, you graduate. And I, I went to Purdue University so in, and when I graduated, uh, luckily interest rates were not as high as they are now. And uh, very fortunate to have not been saddled with as much student loan debt, but I did not have, I also didn't get a BFA. And so I think about like students or young people entering the theater sector or our workforce and the expectation of like, you're gonna do some unpaid internships, some unpaid positions, you're gonna work for volunteer led organizations um, for a while before you may make it. You're gonna in the process rack up a ton of credit card debt because you're trying to make it work in the city. And the, the best way to network is to attend, like to go out to, for drinks after rehearsal or after a show. Like it's just, it's, it's such a problematic, so it's so hard. It's so hard to get ahead um and yeah somehow we just make it a given
0: yeah that's just how it is. Well, will see that's the thing that we're always looking for is like well that's how it's always been done so yeah. where are the points of intervention you know like where are we saying and, and I've been I haven't been doing this since the pandemic but before for a few years I was mentoring at the art institute and just trying to help some of these brilliant like I've never met more brilliant minds than these art students and they were had these great ideas for small businesses and just to try to get them to think about them as actual businesses so they're like you don't have to be a starving artist like you can make I know money is tool the man and I know they don't want to do it and I'm like but you can and you can then when you have that you can do whatever you want and you can pay for your life and you don't have to keep it you don't have to turn into an asshole you can you can Robin hood all of it, do whatever you want. But like the point is, is you can afford yourself the choice and you have all of this, you have the freedom to do this and it shouldn't be like this. I mean, I think, yeah, I well, know. I think
1: one of the challenges that we face is um, a thriving economy relies on a thriving art sector. Mm-hmm. When, when we convinced Boeing, this we, the city of Chicago, not we second story, when Boeing, you know moved its headquarters here, they were wooed by art. Really? Right. Oh yeah, I, yeah. Like I, mean, I I'll, I'll, I'll send you the article about okay. like the like the Chicago Children's Choir is singing, and then they had like it followed a performance at like some downtown institution, like because the arts matter. We know that the art like you want to move a corporate office here, you want your employees to be able to do stuff, right? Like they want yeah. thriving nightlife. They want to see a robust restaurant industry. They want to be able to go to the theater. And yet when we were announcing the leap to 15 last fall, we had pushback from folks that were like, well, why do? You, why should actors or artists make $10 an hour? What? I'd say, yeah, oh, absolutely. I'd say like that, certainly that's my initial response. What? Um, I, I asked, can you, Make it work on ten dollars an hour, and obviously, like talking to lawyers, et cetera. No, right? Like, oh God, I would never do that. I said, well, why have we ch- turned a really important um, stream of our economy into a vanity project? Like, why have we we we're, we we bristle at being called the you know, we're the, not junior league, we're the the field team to New York, right? We're like, no, oh, we, right. have, we provide just as much world-class art as any other city, but there's still a lot of people who don't believe that artists should be paid at the same rate as consultants, as, um, I mean, even like artists aren't even making the minimum wage in Chicago right now, which is 13, right? Like we're not trying to get artists making the, lawyer or doctor writes, but gosh, imagine the art then. Imagine how diverse the sector would be if we paid people better, right? Because not paying people is a cost prohibitor, right? Like we know that people have to say no because they literally cannot afford to do the art. And so we're losing out on so much art in so many voices and paying people, even just getting the leap to like 10, all of a sudden starts to diversify who's telling the stories and how how we are amplifying those voices.
0: Yeah, that's that's exactly like if you right, if we don't pay people, it's only the people who have privilege and have money and have family money or have somebody funding their lives who are making the art and that's not fun. No, and it's a it's a it, we we forget that it's a privilege to do an
1: unpaid like you require it requires a certain amount of privilege to do an unpaid internship. My yeah. first internship in Chicago was a 9 month unpaid internship and the only reason why i was able to make it work was two days of a week i substitute taught in northwest indiana so i drove home in the mornings to substitute each there because it was too wow. hard for me to get certified in illinois um but also uh every other month my parents would send me money to wow. make sure that i could make it work right and then i got a job at Jean's sausage shop and delicatessen oh yeah might be my favorite job ever, just slicing cheese and meat behind that deli. Um, but I wouldn't have been able to make it work if I didn't have parents that like, I knew would not let me fall.
0: Yeah I, yeah, I mean, my first internship was, I mean, this is gonna tell everybody how old I am, but I think it was my, after my first year of college, I came back for the summer. It was the last time I actually came back to my house, but I went to the phone book and I started phone book guys. And I started calling publishers. I was a journalism major. So I started calling publishers in the order of the, I got to C, C2 Publishing. Um, it was a magazine in the Western suburbs in Elmhurst. They hired me, at, I think I was paying $5 an hour, I got paid $5 an hour. I also cleaned houses. I sold Avon. Let's see, what else did I do in college? I sold Avon, I cleaned houses. I worked in the library. Um,
1: I, I, worked I worked at like, Buffalo I Wild Wings.
0: I worked in Barnes and Noble Music. <laughs> oh great. I waited tables for one day. I uh, did not do well. So, Only one day? Yeah, That's I a- couldn't I bartended for years, but I, I waited t- I just sucked at it. I was sucked.
1: That's fair. I um I worked for a couple of years uh at the Purdue Buffalo Wild Wings and that was a wild experience. That was
0: Yes. What wing was your Tuesday. Okay, so what was your favorite job that was not your main job? Tell me about this. This is definitely uh, a beer off course, but I need to know. Well,
1: wait, you mean at like, like all times?
0: Supplemental jobs, like a I bartender, mean, I, Buffalo Wild Wings.
1: So definitely it was not the Buffalo Wild Wings serving <laughs> experience because Wing Tuesday looked like a, I mean, it would look like a, it was, it looked like, like. I don't want to say wars, but I'm trying to move away from uh army vernacular but it looked date it looked real like
0: a Jackson Pollock painting
1: it definitely looked like a Jackson Pollock painting <laughs> and also the number of people like that don't you don't put the bones in the boats like put the bones in the boats oh, y'all gross. I know somebody That's has to pick rude. it up yeah no. it's so rude anyway um I mean it probably would be my when I worked at the deli at, at and I'm a vegetarian now but when I worked at the deli at Jean's sausage shop in Lincoln Square love jeans it was just one of the most freeing experiences I've really? ever had. Slice oh my gosh, just slice and cheese. I mean, I'm a, I'm a type A achiever on the Enneagram, which oh, I've learned in grad three. school. Oh, a, okay. I am. I'm, I'm, a, an, I'm, a
0: three.
1: I'm an eight. Nate. Uh, but uh, I really would be like somebody would be like, I'd like a half, half pound of Swiss and nothing would make me happier than like nailing a half pound of Swiss. Like, just like throwing it up on the scale and just seeing like that I got it. Cause it's all about like the the thickness of the slice. Like how many uh, are they looking Getting as for...
0: close to an actual half pound as possible.
1: Oh yeah, it's oh. just, it was so satisfying. It was so satisfying. And okay. also if you've been to jeans.
0: I have, I live, I live very yeah. close to Lincoln Square. So
1: I you see, me. you know, all of the brats, all of the brats are there. There's right? so
0: many kinds.
1: There's Well, and this is the, the, the other, like mo- <laughs> really going on a, on a diverging. Yeah,
0: this, is, this is called this mental is, health. This is, called this, is, this is
1: totally like mental yes. health. Um, there are all of the sausages and you can tell what they are because they have the names in the front, but the names that when I worked there were not on the back. So the number of times I would have to like. If I guessed correctly, like, like where the Sheboygan was or like, you know, I, it felt like such a victory. Like, to ah, know.
0: Yes, because you have to know by shape and color. Cause yeah. Like, yeah. I, yeah, I just, yeah. I went there the other day. I love that place. That is like, yeah. and now they've got the whole rooftop and everything. Well, maybe we'll get to go there. I don't know. We'll see.
1: But yeah, the rooftop's okay, so, beautiful.
0: Yeah. Okay. So as a three, I'm an eight. I am mean, for you Enneagram people, I'm an eight wing seven, I actually, my type is called the Maverick. So that's one of my favorite things to think about. But um, okay, so for an achiever, then how do you keep yourself like, so you like the precision, you like the racking up of things and the ticking off of lists and like doing something really well and, and having a big resume full of stuff. So what, are you, yeah, I know what these, I love it. I feel
1: very seen right now. I know, love like, Enneagram. Oh gosh. It's yeah. so
0: good. It's so good. I, I've just been like really Enneagram and finder. I think are the two best things, but how we were talking I, I, before, how are you keeping going when you're, you're like so much, you can't, we can't do anymore. Like we, I love organizing. I love getting a whole bunch of people to do a thing, get them in the room. We all do something together. I can't do it. How do you keep going?
1: So, so the the question is rooted around like what is self care during the pandemic?
0: Or oh, yeah, or De- how do you how or do like any time keep your head in the game?
1: Oh my gosh! Well, I have a. You can see this. They I won't be able to see this. I saw that you have been
0: unloading all your. You've been like purging your house because I've been watching. But definitely purging
1: my house. That's my therapy wall. Okay. Of Yogi tea tags and notes and like. Turn to the good. Nice is a peacemaker. Honest is a a nice is a peacekeeper. Honest is a peacemaker. Like I like spend time with this wall. Um, um everyone, because, there
0: is a big pile of booze under that wall. Just so you know. <laughs> It's okay. only it's it's. <laughs> all, but, I know. I thought about that. Like,
1: I, um, our Christmas tree is still up because my wife is like we we um we do a Christmas tree and then a winter tree, and so it gets a costume change and we keep the winter tree up. It has a blue Chicago hat on right now okay. instead of a star. Um, that's why the bar cart's there. Normally it's okay. over on the other side of the room, um, but we really love the glow. And so it's we wait till like daylight savings to take it down.
0: Wow. For those
1: people, it, I, it's my, obviously my a fake tree. It tree goes
0: out the front window the day after Christmas. I throw right. it out the front window and then I light we, it on fire.
1: Yeah, we, um, we lived on a third floor a couple of years ago and we were still doing the real tree and I just like logged that thing off the deck. Isn't it great? Yeah, this is, obvi- it's obviously not real. Um, it would not still be, it would be a disaster zone.
0: Everyone, when we send this out, we're going to send links to Lauren Civic's personal website, Second Story and all the things. Make sure you do all the followings and and really hear about what Second Story is doing because it is some really cool world-changing stuff. Thank you again, Lauren, for re-interviewing with our new podcast. (laughs) Thank you for having me. This is great. Yeah. And we'll hopefully run into you soon. Yes, absolutely. All right. We'll see you soon, everybody. See you next time. Bye.